You can take a seat. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Uh, my name is Levi. For those of you who don't know me, I serve as one of the uh, elders and pastors here. And uh, after our five-week hiatus, we are back in the book of Psalms, uh, book one of Psalms, and uh, we're looking at Psalm 13 this morning, uh, Psalm 13. And uh, while you're turning there, a uh, few things want to make sure you're aware of. First of all, uh, it's a new year, and so oftentimes people are trying to figure out what they're going to read in God's Word, have a reading plan, uh, etc. And so I uh, wanted to make you aware of a resource we have in the back. There are these uh, colored half sheets uh, in the back. One is orange, one is blue. And uh, these are reading plans, uh, a way to bring some intentionality and structure and focus to uh, your time, hopefully daily, in God's Word. Uh, one of them, that would be the orange one, has you going through uh, the entire Bible over the course of two years. In fact, uh, once through the Old Testament, twice through the New Testament, has you reading about two chapters of Scripture a day. That's in the back. And then this blue one, it says modified on it, and um, it, mostly a chapter a day, um, sometimes a little less um, if two chapters of Scripture is just uh, too much uh, or you, you just don't want to tackle. Um, uh, that much text. And so, wanted to make sure that um, you knew that those were available. There's a myriad of options out there in terms of uh, what to read and uh, how often to read it in God's Word, uh, but would strongly encourage you to, uh, if you don't have a reading plan or some structure to your time in God's Word, um, take advantage of these resources. Also wanted to uh, make you aware that on Wednesday… We are starting uh, this annual thing we do called Focus Communities. Uh, each year, uh, we typically take the month of January off from our missional communities or our small groups, and we bring the whole church together on Wednesday evenings, and we have a particular topic that we're focusing on, hence the name Focus Community. And this year, uh, we have two options. Uh, the first one has to do with uh, parenting, foundations of a godly home. All this information is in the bulletin. Um, that's a four four-week uh, deal hosted by a, a wonderful couple in our church, and um, trust uh, after hear this lecture, there's some group discussion um, that if you're a parent, that that would be uh, beneficial and strengthening to you. And then the other option is titled Exploring Worldviews, Who Are the People in Your Neighborhood? That's three weeks, and uh, all this starts at 6.30 p.m. Um, I know one of them's in the Parish House in Hudson Hall. I think the other one's meeting in the Missio Kids Building or the Education Building, uh, but that's this Wednesday. If you um, are planning on being there, and you have kids, we're attempting to provide childcare for that, but that requires some planning and forethought. So please um, make sure that you RSVP to that. Uh, we also want to make sure we have enough seats and, and all that stuff. So even if you don't have kids, an RSVP would be helpful so we know uh, to make sure we have a seat prepared for you. So that's this Wednesday, 6.30 uh, throughout the month of January on Wednesday evenings. And then lastly, um, our Women's Discipleship Breakfast. This is quarterly, second time we're doing it. It's happening on Saturday, January the 18th at 8.30 a.m. Okay, those are all your announcements. Uh, usually there's a lot um, when we, we start the new year. Psalm 13, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, follow along as I uh, read this out loud. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and gather this morning as your people to uh, fellowship, hear your word, worship you. I pray that you would encourage and strengthen us in those areas that we need encouragement, that you would rebuke us if necessary, that you would incline our hearts, that you would open our eyes, that you would give us understanding. And please, Lord, satisfy us with your word and with your promises. We love you, Lord, and it's in Christ's name that we pray together. Amen. So in a book about lament titled Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, uh, author Mark Vrogop begins chapter one, the very beginning of the book, with this question, who taught you to cry? Now, the answer, of course, is no one, although we don't remember it. The first sound you and I made when we left the warm and protected home of our mother's womb was a loud wail, a heartfelt protest. And every human being has the same opening story. I mean, life begins with tears. It's simply a part of what it means to be human. To cry is human. Now, some of us cry more than others. Uh, all of you who have binged the Hallmark Channel during Christmas season over the last eight months, that's right, I said eight months, you know that you've been crying a little more at the end of those very predictable storylines. But nonetheless, some cry more, some cry others, but to cry, nonetheless, is human. And Vrogop in this book uh, rightly point, points out, however, that lamenting is different. You know, the practice of lament, the kind that is biblical and, and honest and redemptive, it's not natural for us because every lament, in essence, is a prayer. It's a statement of faith. Uh, lament, he says, is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. And this morning, as we just read, Psalm 13, we were looking at an individual lament, 
an individual lament from King David, a man after God's own heart. He's experiencing deep, deep distress, and he feels like God has turned away from him. And uh, the outline of this psalm uh, follows a pretty standard outline for a, a lament, a lament that we see in the Old Testament, New Testament. It's a lament, and, and the structure of a lament is pretty basic. It usually has an address to God. It typically has a complaint. It then has a request or an ask, and then wraps up with some expression of trust or praise. So there's an address to God, there's a complaint, there's an ask, and then some expression of trust or praise. And Psalm 13 follows that outline with the main idea being in moments uh, or times of intense hardship when it seems like God has abandoned His people, we as God's people can have confidence in the Lord's steadfast love. In times of intense hardship, when it seems like God has abandoned His people, we can have confidence in the Lord's steadfast love. And uh, we're going to break it down just based on the stanzas. Verses 1 and 2, we see David's uh, or the king's pleading with the Lord. Verses 3 and 4, we see his praying to the Lord. And 5 and 6, we see him praising the Lord. Pleading, praying, and praising. So let's look at verses 1 and 2 and David's pleading or his complaint. Verse 1 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now, you don't have to be um, you know, especially observant to notice that just in those two verses, uh, these two words are repeated four times. How long? I mean, he doesn't know when the sorrow, when the pain, when the distress is going to end. It seems like his sorrow has no end. I mean, time flies when you're having fun, but it crawls at an extremely slow pace inch by inch by inch during difficult times. A week in the hospital lasts longer than a month of good health and exercise. And we can generally put up with something if we know when it's going to end. A boring meeting, no problem. It's only going to last a couple hours at most and then we'll be done with it. Um, difficult days at work, it's okay. Got a vacation coming up or got this trip planned. Uh, long drive, I just drove, uh, our family did yesterday, got home, uh, got home yesterday from driving back from Florida. 20 hours in the car over the course of a couple days. A very long drive, and yet I knew, Lord willing, that drive was going to come to an end when we reached our destination. So when we know when the end is coming, we can generally endure something, but when we can't see the finish line, when we don't know when the difficulty is going to end, I mean, the endurance wears thin. And long-term trials tend to wear us down over time. 
And in Psalm 13, I mean, it's a type of situation that David's describing. Now, we don't know the immediate context. Some have speculated that maybe David is dealing with some of the fallout of some of the sinful decisions and actions that he's made. That could very well be the case. We know David sinned. We know he experienced consequences of that. But we don't know for sure in this context. Others speculate that his reputation is being attacked, tarnished, and he can't do anything about it. And it's been going on for quite some time. Now, we also know that that happened in the life of David, but we don't specifically and precisely know what is going on in Psalm 13. What we do know is that David is experiencing deep, deep distress, and it feels like God has abandoned him. It feels like God has turned away from him. Maybe this morning, you're in a season where it feels like God has turned away from you. Maybe you're just plain tired and exhausted. Talk to someone before the service where um, they have young kids and strep and the flu followed by strep and then a little bit more of the flu. That was their Christmas vacation. Now, we were down in Florida visiting family. Uh, we also had some bouts with the strep and the flu. In fact, my daughter, who's recovering from the flu today, when I was driving, she's sitting behind me, all this coughing, reminding her to cover her mouth, but I felt like I was driving a flu bird. Like, it's just a matter of time until I get infected with the plague, because she's eight, and she, doesn't, she forgets every three minutes to cover her mouth. Maybe you're just plain tired or exhausted. Maybe you're a mom who hasn't had a good night's sleep in weeks, months, dare I say years, and you're just tired. Maybe you're a business owner and business isn't what it used to be. Revenues are down, clients are complaining. You have some suspicions that maybe someone's trying to cheat you in some way. You're tired. God seems far away. And you're wondering how long. Maybe you're dealing with long-term illness or chronic pain. And there's just no end in sight. Maybe you have sorrow in the form of uh, job loss. Maybe you've been unemployed for months, and although you have some options, they're not very good options. I mean, you want to work, but you just can't find the type of job that will help you advance in your career. Or maybe you are employed, and you have this unfair and employer, this very difficult supervisor who it seems that their job is to make your life miserable. And you're wondering, how long? Maybe you're experiencing financial troubles. I mean, first, you know, the, the issue with the car. And then your phone breaks. And then the refrigerator breaks. And you just got all these finances piling up, these expenses piling up on top of another. Maybe you've made some poor financial decisions and now you're reaping the, the results of that. And you're, you're just feeling the, the pressures and the weight and the anxiety of how to provide for yourself or your family. And you're wondering, when am I going to catch a break? How long, Lord? Maybe you're single and 
you desperately want to find a godly man or a godly woman. You're lonely, especially during the holiday season. You see everyone else celebrating with their significant other and their families, and you're wondering, when is it going to be my turn? How long, O oh Lord? Maybe you recently have gone through a, up, a breakup or a broken engagement, or, or maybe you're in a relationship, you're married, but there's marital troubles at home, constant conflict. Your spouse, who should be your companion and your friend and your confidant, feels isolated. You feel isolated. You feel like they're the enemy, that even the most basic things that you want to communicate about turns up into this just massive nuclear war. And you're wondering, how long, Lord? You have a wayward child, or a child with special needs, or uh, maybe you're caring for an aging parent. You recently, have, uh, you and your spouse have gone through uh, the, the sorrow of infertility or a failed adoption. I mean, the longer we live, the more pain we see. In the midst of it all, we could be asking, how long, O Lord? And David's complaint, as he's saying how long, it's really fourfold. First of all, he says, will you forget me forever? And that's what it feels like to David in the midst of this distressing situation and these circumstances beyond his control, it feels like God has absolutely forgotten him. He's no longer paying special attention to him or caring for him. And, and maybe you're wondering, again, like, if God really remembered me, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen, or he certainly would not allow this to go on and on and on. And I, I think rightly so, as we read this line, will you forget me forever, we need to ask the question, I mean, does God really forget His people? And the answer, of course, is, is no, but it often feels like He's forgotten us. And a reminder of truth in the midst of our circumstances is helpful. Uh, Isaiah chapter 49, verses 15 and 16, this is the Lord speaking through uh, the prophet Isaiah, and he, he asks this question, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. If you've, um, if you're a parent, you remember when uh, your child was an infant, and um, the early morning hours or the late night hours, and you're just your child's constantly on your mind, and so you you poke your head in or you uh, you put your finger under their nose or something to just make sure that they're breathing. You just you're always thinking about them. You always want to make sure that your child's safe. For a nursing mother, I mean, uh, infants, I mean, what do they, they, they eat, they poop, they sleep, and it seems like it happens every 30 minutes. And a, and a nursing child is always on the forefront of their mother's mind. That's a comparison here. And then the Lord concedes at the end of verse 15 of Isaiah 49, He says, but even these may forget Yet I 
will not forget you. What's the absolute there? I will not forget you. Verse 16, behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. I mean, he, he's saying, you're, you're, you are before me. I don't forget about you. It may feel like I've forgotten about you, but if you are mine in Christ, I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. You're always before me. You're ever before me. And I'm thinking of you. I'm concerned for you. I'm caring for you. But that's part of David's complaint. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? And then at the the second half of of verse 1, he says, will you hide your… how long will you hide your face from me? It's like it's bad enough if the Lord forgets him, but maybe the Lord could remember him. But then the complaint, the second part of the complaint, how long will you hide your face from me? It's like the Lord is playing this cosmic game of hide and seek, like He's going out of His way not to be found by David. That's how it feels to Him. David's searching, he's looking for him, but God will not allow Himself to be found. He's hiding from Him. And that's the intensity of what David is expressing here in his complaint as a part of this lament. He continues in verse 2, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? I mean, for some of us, we've, we've felt this type of sorrow before. We've experienced this type of, of grief. And in the midst of this, David is saying, I've looked into my own soul. You know, I've tried to white-knuckle it. I've tried to grin and bear it. I've tried to put my best foot forward. I've tried to lift myself up from the bootstraps. I've taken counsel in my soul. Yet it's no comfort, ultimately, for the sorrow that I'm experiencing. I mean, part of David's complaint, this, this third aspect of his complaint I mean, this is excessive introspection. And you just picture um, the troubles that he's experiencing, and I just picture him pacing back and forth, back and forth, and just, just analyzing things, almost muttering to himself, trying to solve the issues and the problems that are before him. I mean, I, I can relate to some degree. I'm, a, I'm an analytical person. I'm a type A person. I mean, you, you name it, I just tend to problem solve and figure things out. I mean, if we're going to an amusement park, like I'm figuring out the best way to uh, reduce wait time lines and um, you get snacks at this time and we need to eat lunch at 11.15 in order to beat the crowds. I mean, we, there's a plan all the time. I mean, something as silly as an amusement park to a drive through window to um, major leadership challenges in the church. I mean, you name it, I'm analyzing it. So I understand this type of introspection. And particularly when there's challenges you know, in leadership or something, I mean, I can analyze to the point where I can drive my wife and my coworkers crazy. But eventually you get to a point, you've analyzed all you can analyze, you've weighed the pros and cons, you've troubleshot all that you could troubleshoot, and you have to trust the Lord. 
David's saying, how long do I have to look within myself, try to figure these things out, and yet find no comfort? And then lastly, the, the fourth part of his complaint says, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? That's the back half of verse 2. He was saying, as this is happening to me, Lord, your glory is being trampled, your promises are um, doubt is being cast over your promises. The enemies, my enemies, your enemies, Lord, look to be exalted, those who mock you, those who promote things that are contrary to your purposes. And that's David's complaint, summed up in two words, how long? The pleading is serious. The complaints are real. And as he's addressed God, and as he's pleaded with Him and made his complaints, now we're going to see in his praying his, his request, his, his ask, this essential component to a lament. Verses 3 and 4, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because... I am shaken. So, despite the fact that David feels like God is very far away, that God is going out of his way to avoid him, David still continues to cling to the Lord, press into the Lord, and make his ask, make his request. He says, consider and answer me. O Lord, my God. The O Lord, my God piece, I mean, it still um, shows us there's this personal relationship that David has with the Lord, and um, as he says, consider and answer me, I mean, he's, he's basically saying, look, look at me. That consider, it means to gaze intently at something or someone. He's saying, Lord, direct your attention your gaze, your affection to me. I mean, there are times where I'm uh, on my computer working at home and my kids want to show me something. And uh, I'm just enthralled on what I'm working on. And I kind of hear the background noise, but I'm not paying much attention. And, but eventually, I mean, uh, after hearing this for about a minute, dad, 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 daddy, 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 look, 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 daddy, 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 look, 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 daddy, 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 daddy. And if, if I don't turn my head, I mean, then there's poking or there's pulling on my arm or sitting on my lap or something to show me whatever it was that was just so urgent in the moment. But they're not stopping until I take my, my eyes off the computer screen and gaze intently at them, even if it only takes five seconds. And that's what this reminds me of. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. He says, light up my eyes. I mean, that means revive me. Give me strength. Give me energy. Bless me. Cause your favor, cause your grace, cause your mercy to shine on me. Light up my eyes, he says. He says, look at me. Light up my eyes. Because if you don't, lest I sleep the sleep of death. 
saying, I, I don't know how much longer I can endure this hardship. It feels like I have one foot in the grave already. I'm halfway to dead. I can't endure much longer. If you don't light up my eyes, I'm a goner. It's over for me. He continues, and he says, lest my enemies say, if you don't light up my eyes, if you don't consider and answer me, my enemy's going to say I have prevailed over him. Your enemy, Lord, is going to get the final word. My, my foes, they're going to rejoice because I'm shaken. This man who had such faith in God, he looked shaken. And what kind of God would allow that to happen? His God must not be true if he allows him to be shaken that way. I mean, that's what David's concerned about, the Lord's glory, the Lord's majesty, the Lord's honor, and how it's manifested in his own life. David's saying, this is an emergency, 911. This is urgent. And I need you to consider and answer me, Lord. I need you to gaze at me. I need you to revive me. I need you to light up my eyes. And what an encouragement for us who are in Christ. You know, when it feels like God has left us, like He's forgotten us, like He's avoiding us, when we don't feel that blessing presence, for David in the midst of that feeling to then cry out to the Lord all the more. And when it feels like God has left us and abandoned us, I mean, this urge uh, and this necessity for us to then pray all the more. It's so easy for us to be tempted to, to take matters into our own hands. Well, I've been looking for this godly man or this godly woman, and the Lord has not provided it. And so, beggars can't be choosers, so I'm just going to start dating this person. Well, I know they're not godly. I know that they don't believe in you. I know that they don't trust in you. I know they don't treasure you like I claim to treasure you, but what's a guy to do? Or I'm put in this dead-end job. There's no advancement. Everyone's getting ahead of me. And so, I need to start backstabbing. I need to start cutting some corners. I need to make sure that they notice me. I need to push some others down in order for me to get ahead. God seems to have forgotten me, so how about I start forgetting Him? If He doesn't care about me, why should I care about Him? I mean, those temptations, and they may sound trite when I say I'm up here, but the feelings are, are real, the temptations are real, the thoughts are real, and over time, those things... The, those lies can begin to erode our endurance, our steadfastness, and our strength. But David, I mean, he's just, he's clinging to the Lord. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Everywhere I need you. Consider and answer me. And we know these promises from the New Testament. I mean, John's, James 4.8, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. That's a promise. What happens when you draw near to God? He will draw near to you. Matthew 7, 7 through 11, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount famously says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, 
and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is imperative. This is a command. I mean, this is encouragement. Ask. And the comparison is a lesser to greater comparison. If you have children and they want some food, you don't give them a stone. If you can provide food for them, if you can give them food, I mean, I'm not talking about the snack before dinner when you say no. Like your child's legitimately hungry and they want some food, you give them food. And then Jesus says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father who is in heaven could give, thing, give, give good things to those who ask Him? We have a good God who's postured and desires to give you good things. Now, that may not always align exactly with what you perceive you need in this moment. It doesn't negate the fact that there is sin and there are real trials and hardships. But God works for the good of those who love Him. And as we look at this individual lament, the word of encouragement is, however you're feeling, whatever you're legitimately going through, cling to the Lord, press into Him, and make your requests known to Him. How much more do you need to do that in seasons of distress when it feels like you want to go your own way? Press into God who's there waiting to bless you, who will not forget you and is mindful of us as children. We've seen the pleading, we've seen the prayer, and then the lament wraps up, which is a linchpin of, of a lament in the Scriptures, this expression of trust and praise. Despite all that is going on in David's life in this moment, he ends Psalm 13, verses 5 and 6 with this, but, that's a contrast, in spite of all of that, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. In mean, verse 5, with that contrast, what David is going through, it feels like death is knocking at his door. That's how intense the sorrow is. And as he complains to the Lord, and as he makes his requests of the Lord, he then wraps up with this expression of trust that says, but I have trusted 
in your steadfast love. And that steadfast love, this isn't like romantic comedy love. This isn't fickle love. I mean, this is loyal love. This is covenant love. This is till death do us part love. Now, several weeks ago, I saw Frozen 2 and uh, Anna, 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 Anna in the movie um, wasn't treating Kristoff too nicely. I'm not going to give anything away. But uh, she needed to apologize to Kristoff, and she does later on. And as she apologizes to Kristoff for how she has been treating him throughout uh, the two-hour flick, um, Kristoff then responds by saying, it's okay, my love is not fragile. Now, it goes by, the moment goes by like that, but I paused, was not expecting that much depth from a Disney movie. It's okay. My love is not fragile. And I thought of that phrase, the Lord's love is not fragile. It's steadfast love. It's loyal love. It's commitment love to you and to me in Christ Jesus. He's demonstrated that loyal, steadfast commitment love through the person and work of Christ. We have grounds for trusting in the Lord. What are the grounds? His steadfast love, His non-fragile love. And He says, my heart, the heart that um, is, is just sorrowful, the heart that is broken down, says, my heart will rejoice in your salvation. It's rejoicing in the Lord's salvation. Now, that word salvation, it certainly means the forgiveness of sins, which is wonderful and marvelous and is one of the primary blessings and benefits for those who have trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But it's a holistic type of salvation as well. I mean, it's as... James Johnson writes, I mean, he means this word, uh, my heart, rejoice in your salvation. He means complete salvation, comfort for his heart, quiet for his mind, healing for his body, complete safety, perfect peace. God is not just saving our souls, he is saving us body. Mind, heart, soul, spirit, senses, eyes, hands, feet, thoughts, emotions, relationships, everything we are. God says, behold, I am making all things new. Revelation 21, 5. And so we... Like the people in Corinth where, where Paul encourages them in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, we fix our eyes not on things that are transient but, or temporal, but things that are eternal. We have etern an eternal perspective. We trust in the Lord's loyal, steadfast, wonderful love. Not to minimize what we're going through now, but in light of eternity, we have wonderful promises. We have blessed promises 
in Christ Jesus. So then he wraps up in verse 6 and he says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. God has dealt bountifully with you and I. And his bounty is, is nothing less than all of his generosity in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 says, in Christ Jesus, we've been given every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. And if you are in Christ, you know, I, I can't promise you that the emotional darkness will lift. I mean, those, those feelings that we have, intense feelings, I don't minimize those feelings. They're very real. They're very present. They're extraordinarily helpful indicators to where we need and what areas we need to trust God in our life. But they're dangerous leaders. We don't allow the subjective to lead, but rather we let the objective truth, the promises of God to ground us and anchor us and be our foundation. And so I can't promise you that the, the real pressures and sorrow of the emotional darkness that you're experiencing will lift. I mean, there's nothing magical that happens between December 31st and January 1. I mean, I was scrolling through Facebook while I was away, and it seemed like everyone was ready to say good riddance to 2019. I didn't notice one positive 2019 post. Like, best year ever. Hope it happens again. Let's do it again. Part two. But rather, just my, my Facebook wall was just filled up with, with people in many ways, like just expressing pain and hardship, and they just can't wait to get rid of 2019. I lost two grandparents in 2019. It could be a hard, it's a hard year. But just because December 31st moves to January 1st, it doesn't mean that all of our troubles and heartaches and sorrows and distresses just, just end. For many of us, the troubles we felt in 19 will continue on in 2020. But in the midst of it, we in Christ Jesus can confidently say that we are not alone, that God has not forgotten or abandoned us, and that we, our hearts, we can trust in God's steadfast love. We can rejoice in His salvation. Even if we don't feel like it, may we be anchored by these wonderful truths. And may we be strengthened by laments in the Scriptures, laments that express an address to God and complain and make their requests to God, but ultimately have an expression of trust and hope. For to cry is human, but to lament is Christian. Father, uh, we thank You for the truths found in Psalm 13. We trust what 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18 say. This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, 
but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. May we sing to you, Lord, because you have dealt bountifully with us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.